Hello, you're listening to Medical School with Michaela, the podcast that goes through things that you need to know for medical school as well as for your shelf exams. Today, I'll be talking about pediatric preventive care guidelines. So, um, there are recommendations for routine pediatric preventative health care that assumes that children have no known significant health problems and are being parented in an appropriate manner. Um, that assumes a lot, um, but basically you can go to the Appendix 3 of the USPSTF um, recommendations and look at the A and B recommendations. These will be very important for you to know for your shelf exam, and these are things that I use in my practice every day. So, generally, when you're caring for a newborn, there are some things that you need to know. Um, a newborn evaluation is mandatory for all infants after birth, regardless of the state that you're in, and breastfeeding should be promoted, instructed, and supported at this um at this visit. Um, It's not necessary that parents breastfeed. There are medical contraindications to breastfeeding, but you want to try to promote breastfeeding. Um, There are very important elements of a newborn evaluation. One is history. You want to obtain a comprehensive initial history from parents that includes prenatal care history, important components of prenatal medical history, um, parental past, prior, and recent um, pregnancy history, as well as labor and delivery history. So you, as far as labor and delivery history, you want to ask about the duration of labor, the type of delivery, spontaneous or induced labor, forceps or non-forceps delivery, maternal compli- complications, which include anything from a fever or an, amniocyte, um, an amniocytis, the APGOR score, and the growth status. Uh, With growth measurements, you want to record their length, height, and weight because babies can't stand to record their length. You want to record head circumference as well as weight um, so that you can plot those on standard curves. You want to try to do the blood pressure um, if they have certain risks. So if they're premature, if they're very low birth weight, if they have congenital heart disease, or if they have a urinary or renal problem, then you want to do their blood pressure. You also um, want to assess vision if they're at risk for ophthalmologic problem. Um, And also you want to assess hearing um, in all newborns. And that should be done before they're discharged from the hospital. You also want to do a developmental assessment, so that should be performed during the newborn period, and so we'll go through the developmental things that you should see um, from basically two weeks to six years. So, two weeks, they um, will be able to move their head from side to side. They may follow things with their eye. Um, They'll start making noises, and um, they look at people's faces, and they fix on faces. At two months, they lift their head um, from a prone position, they follow objects, they can coo, they smile, and they have like a social smile, and they'll have parental recognition. At four months, they lift their hands in the prone position, they roll on their back, and they have good head control. They reach for and grasp for objects, they may laugh, they may squeal, and they'll look at their hands and they begin to interact socially. So kind of thinking about it, before you can pick your head up, you have to move from side to side, and before you can pick up your whole body, you have to be able to pick up your head. So we're at four months where they can pick up their head. And then at six months, they can sit. So now they've moved their head, they've picked it up, they've sat up, and now they can sit alone. They transfer objects from hand to hand, they can feed themselves, they'll babble, and they recognize um, unfamiliar persons. So this is where some separation anxiety um, can start to, to start to develop. Um, at nine months, they uh, sit without support, uh, they crawl, and they pull the stand, they have pincher grasps, they'll say nonspecific sounds like mama and dada, but they don't really mean anything, and then they'll wave bye-bye, and then they'll also have stranger anxiety, and so that's normal. 
at 12 months, they'll cruise, they'll try standing alone, they can release items, so they'll drop things into your hand or give you things, they can drink from cups, um, they will use specific things like mama and dad to talk about their dads and moms, um, and then they'll also, um, use one to four other words, and they also can imitate people and they cooperate, so they'll help you, help get themselves dressed. At 15 months, they walk well, including backwards. They can stack two blocks and use spoons. They use up to six words and they follow commands. At 18 months, you see running. They stack four blocks. They use 10 to 25 words and then they remove garments and use words to communicate needs. At two, they can walk up and down stairs without assistance. Then they kick balls. They can stack six blocks and they uh, can copy a straight line. And then they'll use two to three word phrases and only 15, 50% of their speech is detectable to a stranger. So five zero. And then they'll engage in parallel play. Um, and I think it's actually like really true that these things. So I, I was babysitting a two year old and he could walk up and down the stairs. He could stack things. Um, and I could only understand about half of what he was saying before I really got to know him. At age three, um, they can pedal uh, a tricycle and um, broad jump. They can copy a circle. They can stack eight blocks and about 75% of their speech is um, understandable. And then they'll do group play and they know their age and their gender. Um, so I would ask him later when he turned three, I was like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm three. Um, at four, um, they can balance and hop on one foot. They can copy a cross. They can draw a person with three parts. Um, their speech is understandable to strangers, and they can brush teeth without help, and they can dress themselves. At five, they can skip. They can draw a person with six body parts. They can count, and they can ask the meaning of words, and they can name four colors and understand rules. At six, they can ride a bike and balance on each foot for six seconds. They can write their name. They can define words, and then they know their colors, and they know uh, right from left. Other things can include, like, tying their own shoes um we should also look at psychosocial and behavioral assessments during um that period when they're um still a um an infant so on physical exam uh for an infant still you want to know their apgar score um that's assigned at one and five minutes um and we'll go through what the apgar score actually is their apgar score is their heart rate and they get zero points if it's absent, they get one point if it's less than 100, and they get two points if it's over 100. Their respiratory can be absent, weaker irregular cry, and strong vigorous cry. So strong vigorous cry is two, weaker irregular is one. And then um, you look at their color. So paler cyanotic, zero. Extremities cyanotic, one. Pink, which is generalized, is two. Muscle tone, zero is absent, one is weak or slightly flexed extremities, and two is active, and then reflex um, irritability, absent is zero, grimace is one, and then active cry and avoidance is two. So we really want the baby to have a really good APGAR score. They're going to be really mad. They just got taken out of a warm place. They, um, um, they're going to be mad and they're going to be active. So, um, Basically, the one-minute APGAR is indicative of both the intrauterine environment and the birth process, and their uh, five-minute APGAR is um, reflecting the success of the neonate in transitioning. No further innovation is usually required for uh, neonates who have an APGAR, APGAR score greater than seven or equal to seven. So a comprehensive physical exam is recommended for newborns within 24 hours of life just to make sure everything is going okay. You want to evaluate for signs of birth trauma, such as like a cephalohematoma or 
um, other kinds of like fractures that can happen. And then you also want to check the birth weight, cardiopulmonary exam, and evidence of jaundice. So procedures that you should be mindful of are that like newborn blood screens should be done for many different congenital um, or genetic things. And then metabolic conditions also need to be performed in all babies. So we need to screen for PKU or phenylketonuria, congenital hypothyroidism, hemoglobinopathies, and galactosemia. Um, just to make sure that we begin treatment as soon as possible because this can cause a lot of problems that if not um, dealt with properly will end up being really debilitating to the child. We also need to do critical congenital heart defect screening. So we use a pulse oximeter to screen for uh, critical congenital heart defects in all newborns after 24 hours life, uh, after 24 hours of life and prior discharge. Because remember, um, the the if they have a patent for renal valley um, that starts to close, they can end up becoming um, cyanotic if they have teratolo um, teratology of fallow. Immunizations, they get their first dose of Hep B. Um, prior discharge, they need to get it. They really don't have a choice. They really do need to get it. And the anticipatory guidance should be performed during uh, the newborn period. And so that includes injury prevention, violence prevention, sleep position counseling, and nutrition counseling. Babies go to sleep on their backs. Remember the back to sleep movement. There's no reason for babies to cuddle with anything. They don't understand why they would be cuddling with anything. They don't know what something else is. They don't know that they have a lovey. So they go to bed in a crib by themselves in an empty crib. If mom is concerned about the baby being warm enough, make sure the pajamas are warm enough. You don't, the baby says, don't need a blanket. They go on their back. There's nothing in the crib and you want the sheets fitted tightly around the mattress nothing in the crib no blankets in the crib just a sheet so that they're sleeping on it infancy and childhood so um also uh, you want to make sure you take an interval history at ages one and two weeks and then at ages one two four six and nine months so um that's hard to remember but one and two weeks and then one two four six nine months um for growth measurements, like we talked about, you measure the length um, and height. The length or the height, if they can stand, you measure the height. Their weight, their weight for length, and their head circumference at 1 and 2 weeks, and then 1, 2, 4, 6, 9, 12, 15, and 18 months. So we uh, do the interval history, the like the inventory histories at 1, the interval histories at 1 and 2 weeks, and then 1, 2, 4, 6, 9 months, and then we do... Um, more history at 12, 15, 18, and 24 months, and then go annually, and then we do measurements on the same schedules. For growth assessment, you can use height and weight continuing annually, and then for head circumference, you don't have to do that anymore after they're two. Um, annual screening to assess healthy weight via body mass index can start at two, and then sensory screening, um, you want to have routine visual acuity test when they are three, four, five, six, eight, and ten. After that, they should be able to communicate if they can't see anymore. So three, four, five, six, eight, ten. Um, for hearing screen it, screening, you do that at four, five, six, eight, and ten. So just not at three when you would do visual acuity. And then for developmental and behavioral assessments, you can perform those at, um, at most well visits during infancy and then annually in childhood. And then for autism screening, that's recommended between 18 and 24 months by many different organizations. And there's a validated um, tool that we'll go through. So 
That includes looking at social interactions, communication, and behavior. So you look to see if they have a limited eye contact, difficulty with developing relationships with peers, and to see if they don't engage in pretend play activities. With communication, you'll see if they um, have impaired reciprocal communication, delayed and abnormal functioning in language and use in social communication, and echolalia. So they're like repeating things that you're saying for no obvious reason. For behaviors, you look for stereotyped and restrictive behaviors, repetitive motions, and preoccupation with a single object or, or parts of an object. So the kid who doesn't have a lot of friends, who is repeating after you during a visit, and they are throwing a bear up and down, that child should be screened for asthma or for um, autism. And then for, for physical exam... You want to do a comprehensive physical exam at all well visits. You want to look for gross and fine motor as well as sexual development. Um, you want to do blood pressure reading at three years old at every visit. And then there's many different immunizations that you can look for at the CDC. Um, for anemia screening, you measure their hemoglobin or hematocrit at 12 months. And then um, you can do, use your clinical discretion in high-risk infants or children who are... Um, are older than 12 months or, or have signs for lead screening you perform that at the 12 month one month visit um and then there's universal screening for medicaid patients but if they don't have medicaid then then you would want to to screen them and that's required by law for some high risk patients um it's a d rating for average risk uh, children but if you're working in flint michigan which we live close to flint michigan or um there are patients who may be coming to see me in my practice from flint michigan i would test them for tuberculosis re um, screening, you would really only test them if you thought they were at risk for it. So it's recommended in the first 12 months of life and annually if they are um, high risk. So if they're coming from an area that has high tuberculosis or they live in a very crowded area, then maybe I would test for that. Or maybe there's lots of children in the home or lots of other people in the home, then I would uh, be prompted to test that. Risk factors can include um, a person who has an HIV infection, illicit drug use, or if they're living in a tuberculosis prevalent area. So oral health. Um, during infancy, you counsel against bottle propping feeding and bottles to bed. We also refer to a dental home if we can, and there should be a risk assessment performed if a referral is not possible or feasible. And then also you assess for fluoride supplementation at six months. Um, we want to think about like, um, if the water is deficient in fluoride, so if there's like well water that they're using, then you want to think about that. And then you can think about adding in oral fluoride. Um, and for high risk um, patients, we can use fluoride varnishes to prevent dental caries. Brushing teeth can begin at by age six months. So encouraging patients to brush the, brush the few teeth that a child has. And then we stress importance of bottle weaning by first birthday and they can wean to a cup Um by 12 months to so try a sippy cup instead of a bottle which can prevent dental caries and we can also perform anticipatory guidance during all of our, our all of our visits for adolescents this is one of my favorite populations um they should have a history performed annually during their adolescent years. We should have growth measurements in height and weight, and we can monitor their BMI throughout adolescence. Um, they should be counseled regarding importance of physical activity and healthy diet. We should counsel them that um, we um, need to get a little bit more aggressive if their BMI is above the 85th percentile. And we also need to screen for eating disorders, and that should occur annually, especially in middle childhood years.
For sensory screening, we do visual acuity at 12, 15, and 18. So similar to some of the other screening that we did at 12, 15, and 18 months, we do it in 12, 15, and 18 years. For hearing screening, that can be performed only if the risk assessment indicates need for a screening. A child may tell you if they have loss of hearing um, or issues hearing if they're 12 years old and they were hearing fine for several years. Um, you also want to assess um, developmental and behavioral um parts of the exam at starting at age 11. We screen for alcohol and drug abuse um, that should be performed in teenagers. Parents should be asked um, about family histories of alcohol and substance abuse. And you should try to get it from um, an adolescent and ask them about use of alcohol, drugs, or other illicit or over-the-counter substances, um, such as anabolic steroids or inhalants. Um, and you should try to do that alone, just a pro tip. Um, adolescents may, may be more likely to lie to you if they... Um, think that their parents can hear them so having parents wait in the lobby or outside of the room and speaking quietly if the parent is waiting outside of the room is a very good idea um they should be adolescents should be counseled regarding deleterious effects of alcohol and substance abuse and they should be counseled on avoiding all driving when alcohol or drug drug use occurs so if you know they drink on the weekend telling them okay i know that you're going to drink alcohol it's not good for you but please promise me that you won't be driving when you do that um, depression screening should occur, should occur annually during adolescent years, and we can do the PHQ-2 and a PHQ-9. So PHQ-2 is, um, as you probably know, have you been down, um, depressed, or hopeless, and have you had little interest or pleasure in doing anything? And if you get um, a positive answer for either, either of those questions in a PHQ-2, then you progress to a PHQ-9. Uh, for physical exam, that's recommended annually during adolescence, and we should have annual blood pressure um, readings, so those continue through adulthood. And then anemia screenings can be used um, if you think they have some risk of anemia, so our vegetarian kiddos, um, our kids who may not be having a good diet otherwise, and they're not necessarily vegetarians, or they're having some um, increased pallor, or they said they feel sick, or they're more down, then you can screen for anemia. And that's with the um, hemoglobin or the hematocrit. For tuberculosis testing, um, we can screen annually if they're in a high-risk area um, or if they're otherwise at high risk for developing tuberculosis. So um, if they have HIV or they're otherwise immunocompromised, um, we would think about that. Um, and those are pretty much the same uh, risk factors. So HIV screen, um, HIV infection, illicit drug use, or living in high tuberculosis prevalent areas. For lipid screening, that should happen once between 18 and 25 and then for STD and HIV screening, all adolescents should be confidentially screened once for HIV between 16 and 18. Um, adolescents who are engaging in risky behaviors, such as sex with multiple partners or intravenous drug use, um, should be screened annually. And also tell them to be screened before um, a new partner, but definitely, or after they started having sex with a new partner, rather, but definitely annually. Chlamydia and gonorrhea should occur annually for sexually active adolescents. Syphilis can be screened if they um, are at high risk, um, such as men who have sex with men um, or multiple partners and then physicians should be counseled on should counsel adolescent parents on sexually transmitted infections and then also teenagers should get the hpv vaccine between 9 and 26 years old um and you can start as young as 9 but um by 11 and 12 is when we start talking about it and then you can provide anticipatory guidance thank you for listening